Good morning and welcome to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. Folks, you will be aware at this point that September is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month and you will also be aware that I tend to interview someone who has been bereaved by the loss of a loved one through or due to suicide each year because it is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month. So today... I am joined by Frances Hines, who lost her son Oshin eight years ago at the age of 21, and she is here to tell us her story. And I'm also joined by Phil, who is a facilitator and volunteer with Midlands Living Links. And she and Midland Living Links were and are a vital part to Frances's story, but more of that later. Firstly, Francis, thank you for coming onto the show today and choosing to converse with me on a very sensitive topic, which I'm sure isn't easy for you. But firstly, if you don't mind, can you share with us your background, where you're from, family life, and please just paint the picture for us of what life was like before, before Oshin's death. Okay, my name is Frances. I'm from Nina. I married Eddie, not always from Nina. I'm from Dublin originally, moved down. I have three children. Ashling is my eldest, Oshin was the middle, and Kiran is the youngest. I work in childcare myself. Uh, my husband drives a truck. We're married 33 years. Oshin was so bright, full of energy, full of beans. And he went into secondary and things came a little bit more complicated. By fifth year, possibly fourth year, he had started to suffer depression. He dabbled in drugs, drinking. So, Francis, when you say that he started to suffer from depression, how did you recognise that? And how did it manifest itself? What were the telltale signs? He would be... Stuck to the bed in the morning, wouldn't want to get up, wouldn't want to go to school. Had no interest in going out with his friends. Would stay at home or else would have too much interest in going out. Wouldn't come home, would stay out very late. Would disappear for hours on end. We wouldn't know where he was. Um, that went on for quite a while. And after the leaving cert, he didn't get what he wanted. But he wasn't going back because he hated school. And things got more complicated then. It became late nights, four o'clock in the morning, maybe five o'clock in the morning when he'd come in home. He then started working part-time with his dad on the truck. That wasn't really what he wanted to do, but it was a way of getting him out of bed in the mornings. He, The drug-taking became more obvious as time went on, and he would not get up in the morning, and it became a fight to get him up in the morning. And then we begged him to get help. We had been doing that for a long time, but we asked him to go and get help with his drug addiction. He did attend Pieta House. We did convince him after he had told us that he was in a really bad place and he didn't want to live anymore. So we went to Pieta House. Then he got other appointments with Pieta House and he wouldn't attend. On the morning he died, they rang him to check in on him. But he, he died that morning. So he was gone too far at that point. 
He had also attended Drummond House in Nina, which is psychology or psychiatry, the um, therapist there. They thought he was okay, that he would be okay, but we knew he wasn't okay. When you reflect on Oshin's journey, apart from the physical struggle that you and Eddie had to try and keep Oshin's spirits up and to encourage him to leave the bed and to try and make a go of things, were there other telltale signs that you now recognise or was it literally that one day he was this happy, fun-loving, chirpy individual and the next he was just into a deep depression? Because it appears that the change was that dramatic. It was just a slide in his personality, quite a major slide, rapid slide, almost from one type of personality to another, so to speak. So, was there other telltale signs that you picked up on during that time? He went from being full of, full of chat at home to not chatting at home, which is normal teenage behaviour, of course, because they change as they grow up. But he wouldn't, he didn't communicate as much at home. He started going out constantly with his friends. And he spent more time away than he did at home. And I know from having my daughter, I know it's different having boys and girls. But at that age, she would have spent a little bit more time at home. She would have communicated more. So we did know that he wasn't himself. And it's hard to put a finger on on that you know when but when you live with somebody and you know them that well you know things aren't as they should be we did ask him he said you can't help me it's too complicated and you know I don't want to talk to anybody who would want to talk to me we did everything to try and get him help to get him to talk to somebody but he just didn't feel it in himself that he could talk to anybody okay so he went into a place of real isolation Within himself, then? Within himself. Not with his peers. With his peers, he was the life and soul of the party. But within himself, he changed completely. So, you were saying Oshin had gone through and you had brought him to various different places and programmes, etc. But behind it all was that continuous knowledge or mindset to him that no one could help him. Or would you say that would be reflective of those times? Yes, I really do think that he felt in himself that he couldn't be helped. Why? I don't know. Asked him why. He couldn't really answer that question himself. When we did get him help, it was there, what will I say? What do I say? It was like he couldn't bring himself to know what to say to somebody. When he attended Pieta House, he said it went really well, but he was good at that point. He was off the drugs at that point. He was doing really well. And then it it slid again. He went back on the drugs again about a month before he died, which he had kept really well hidden until maybe a few weeks before, and we suspected. And then he, he, he died a few weeks after that. Welcome back to Heartlands here at Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. And folks, as I was sharing earlier, You will be aware at this point that September is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month and you will also be aware that I tend to interview someone who has been bereaved by the loss of a loved one through or due to suicide each year because it is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month. So today I am joined by Frances Hines who lost her son Oshin eight years ago at the age of 21 And she is here to tell us her story. 
And I'm also joined by Phil, who is a facilitator and volunteer with Midlands Living Links. And she and Midland Living Links were and are a vital part to Francis's story. Francis, talk to me about that morning when you received a follow-up phone call from Pieta House, checking up to see how Oshin was doing. And yes, the timing of it was so unfortunate in the fact that Oshin had already chosen to depart from this world. Share with us how that day was from your perspective, please. That morning we were to have a party for his uncle's birthday. He said he wasn't coming to it in hindsight. We now know why he wasn't going to go to it. So I was at home making birthday cakes and I also made one for Oshin because his favourite was coffee cake. So I made one for him. And I asked him, was he going anywhere? He said, no, ma'am, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going out for a smoke. He went out the door and had his cigarette. And I didn't hear him come back in, but that wouldn't be unusual. Then I opened the kitchen door because I hadn't heard from him or hadn't seen him. And I'd say 40 minutes and I opened the door and I just said, Oshin is dead. I just got that feeling that he was dead. And I went upstairs to his room and I found a note and I came back down and I searched everywhere and there was no sign of him. And then I rang my husband who'd been gone to soccer with his younger brother. And I asked him, had he heard from him? And he said, no. And I said, he's definitely gone. I said, there's a note here. And I said, he's gone to the river. And we rang, I rang the guards at that point and they sent out someone to look for him. And my husband came home and they both went and they found him at the river. He had hung himself at the river. It was surreal. You just go into shock, complete shock. And then you go through the motions of everything that has to be done, the funeral and all the rest of that. And I can't remember a lot of it because I think I was in such shock. My friend told me afterwards I sat on a chair and spoke to a guard for an hour, which I have no memory of. Uh, You think of, you remember certain things. I remember my friend kneeling in the grass and saying to her, your jeans are going to get all dirty. I mean, you know, the things you think of at that that time, that's how crazy your mind is. Um, My youngest son was just in complete shock and I remember being totally worried about him and my daughter because my daughter, Ashling and her brother, Oshin, they were very, very close. There was only two years between them. And I can remember all I wanted was to see her. She had just gone into work, just to know that she was okay. Um, After that, we went home. He he was taken to the hospital for the um, post-mortem. And it just became so busy. The house was just so busy and organising a funeral and everything that has to be done after that. At that time, someone from Living Links came and sat beside me and told me that there is support because I had no idea. I would have had no idea that anyone was there. And through that, we eventually met Phil and she has supported us hugely through the aftermath of Washington suicide. So speak to me about the aftermath. As you have said, you have gone through the funeral process, which all do in regard to the loss of a loved one. But this is different because... You're not just dealing with a death due to illness or simply old age. In those cases, there is time to prepare. And there is a sense that it's inevitable that these things are going to happen, either due to old age or 
severe illness. But when it comes to a death like Ushin's, it's very different because you are left with the what-ifs or the could-haves or should-haves or the maybes or what did we miss questions that arise as a result that suicide throws up. Talk us through that, please. You always have the why. Why did this happen? Why didn't they talk? Why didn't they tell us? And I know Ocean wasn't able, but I still say you should have been able. You should have reached out. Maybe we could have helped. You wouldn't know unless you asked. We reached out for help because I knew without that help, I would not have survived. I would not have. Phil saved my life 100%. As regards my children, Ashling struggles a lot. Um, Kiran doesn't talk about it. I wish he would, because I feel if he did, it would be easier for us to talk about it with him. He had his 21st in August, which was so hard, because he was the same age as Oshin when he died. And it's all the small things, it's never ever the big things. I know you learn to live with it, but that pain never ever goes away. It never goes away. Let's just pause. Just take a moment. No, no, you're, you're okay. You're okay. All right. You were sharing with us, Francis, that Kieran just had his 21st birthday, which happens to be in August as well. And you were sharing that he can't bring himself to speak about this. But as you said, it is little things that trigger your emotions, trigger all the feelings, trigger the pain, such as the two lads having their birthdays in August. Is the result then a source of continuous worry when it comes to Kieran and Ashling for you? Yes, it is. Because now that it has happened there is always a chance that it can happen again. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be your children, it could be your husband, it could be yourself, because that option, unfortunately, is now there in your life, and it can happen again. You were saying earlier that Phil entered into your life at the vital moment, and that she was your saving grace. Share with us about your darker days then, if you can, please. My darkest days, I wanted to die. I didn't want to get up. I didn't, I couldn't see any way beyond Oshin's death. I couldn't even see a future with my own children. You know, there was nothing was bringing me out of this darkness. And I spoke to Phil and little by little, Phil brought everything out, brought it up to the surface and told me you can and you will, and that became my mantra. I can and I will. And I have, and I did, and I survived, and I survive every day. And when something becomes a challenge, like Kiran's 21st, and the panic hits, and the grief hits, I just say, I can and I will. And I do. Midlands 103. Welcome back to Heartlands here at Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. And folks, as I was sharing earlier, you will be aware at this point that 
September is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month and you will also be aware that I tend to interview someone who has been bereaved by the loss of a loved one through or due to suicide each year because it is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month. So today I am joined by Frances Hines who lost her son Oshin eight years ago at the age of 21 and she is here to tell us her story. And I'm also joined by Phil, who is a facilitator and volunteer with Midlands Living Links. And she and Midland Living Links were and are a vital part to Francis's story. So Francis, in light of all that you have shared, what gives you hope these days? My children, my grandchildren, a sunny morning, a bird singing, because for a long time you don't hear the birds singing. So when you do, you just say, yes, I'm alive, I'm in the world, I can hear the birds sing. That gives you hope. Again, it's the small things. When you consider Oshin's journey and your journey since, what would you say to anyone who is going through the same journey you have? Pick up the phone, meet a friend, talk, talk, talk. Because by talking... We bring it out, we make it less, we share, the, we share the journey, we share the pain, we make it halved, and you do feel so much better after you have spoken to somebody. It is so important that we reach out and talk. As in, talk about the real things, not just about the weather. Talk about how you are actually feeling. If you feel like you're going to have a panic attack, tell somebody you feel like you're going to have a panic attack. It lessens it, it makes the fear go away. Because you won't die from panic, you think you will, but you won't. And if you talk to somebody about it, tell them exactly how it feels. Tell them that the pain is real. Tell them that you might feel that you're going to kill yourself. Tell somebody, because nine times out of ten, somebody can help you. Especially before you get to the stage where there is no turning back. Because people do reach that point, I do believe it. And if you can reach out to them before they get to that stage there is a chance that you can stop them from killing themselves. And if they themselves can reach that point where they can reach out and talk to somebody and get the help that they need, which is so important, if you don't meet somebody that you relate to, then you go to somebody else and you go to somebody else until you find somebody that you can relate to. And that is why Living Links is so important because everyone there that you get to speak to has been bereaved by suicide as like Phil, your facilitator. They understand what you are going through so they can relate. For me, speaking to somebody who hasn't been through this, it doesn't relate to me. I can't relate to them because they don't understand what I've been through. They couldn't. I'm not meaning anything bad about it, but they couldn't relate to how I feel. So find somebody who can relate to how you feel and talk to them. One of the things in Irish culture, even in church culture, is that death through suicide is seen as almost a taboo topic, which carries a stigma with it. Is that something that you have felt? Yes, that stigma is still there. It's a lot harder to say your child died by suicide than your child died from cancer or died in a car crash. It's it's still there in the way people will still... The language they use, as in committed suicide, rather than died by suicide, because it isn't a crime anymore. 
Um, so the way people speak, the way their language, they could say, oh, he topped himself. That affects you because that language is there, which is negative language. And we need to change that. And we need to change the whole stigma around it. And the more people talk about it and the more they say what has happened to them, because this is widespread. So many people have been affected. So many people close their doors and never, ever speak about it again. And that is why there's stigma still around suicide. I was chatting with Eddie earlier and he told me he's the quiet one in the relationship. But what impact do you think it had on him and also on you both as a couple? Eddie is very deep and very quiet. As in quiet about his emotions, quiet about how he feels. He found Oshin. So I can never, ever experience what he did. I can imagine what it was like but I can't ever know what his experience is of finding his son. He doesn't talk about Oshin and the whole, how he felt around the suicide and the guilt and all the rest of it, but I can see it when it's there. I know when he's not good, you know, when the demons have taken over and he can't talk to us. I know because he doesn't want to upset us or he doesn't want us, when we're in a good place, to then end up in a bad place. But as I said, we're nearly always in that bad place. It's always there. It's never too far away. But he just can't bring himself to. And that's just how he deals with it. As a couple, yes, that is difficult. Because you don't have the one person that you feel you could talk to there to talk to. Because they're just not able. He's just not able. I've come to terms with it because I know he has to do what's right for him at the end of the day so he can get up in the morning and go about his day and be there for us in in the best possible way he can be. In regard to life going forward, you've shared with us what gives you hope in the present, but what are your hopes for in the future or do you perceive that this cloud will continue to hang over you? No, there's not. I won't let that cloud hang over it the rest of my life. We walk with suicide now. It's beside us. It's a part of our life. It will always be there. It will never go away. We want to live the good life, as in to have peace, to have joy, to have fun, especially with our grandchildren, especially with our children and the futures that they have, whatever that may be, whatever road takes them, whatever way the road takes them down. We just want them to be happy and for us to be happy in our own ways. We went on a holiday for the first time in six years um, this year and we actually really, really enjoyed it. But this is a lifetime journey. This is a lifetime walk and we are walking it together in our own ways, which sometimes is difficult, yes, but we just have to keep walking the walk, keep walking straight and enjoy the good times and make the best of them. So, Francis, what would you advise to someone who has recently come through the experience of losing someone to suicide and are now this side of the funeral, left facing that mountain before them, they're lost, not knowing where to turn, or what would your advice be to them? My advice would be to seek help from someone who understands what you're going through, especially living links because 
the people there do understand what you're going through. They are trained to help you, not that you need any training for this because you've been through it, but they're trained to help you. People who will listen, they will talk you through it. They're there at the end of the phone, whether it's the middle of the night or the middle of the morning or whenever it is when the darkness takes hold, they are there at the end of the phone to listen. And what you really need is somebody to listen. And thankfully, I met Phil and she has been my listening ear. And even still, eight years later, she's still my listening ear. Without that, I definitely would not be here today. It is beautiful to know that an organisation like Midland Living Links are there to journey with you. And that after eight years, Phil is still there with you. That the help offered wasn't a momentary thing or a flash in the pan, but it is an actual journeying with you. And that is evident by what you've been sharing with us. But can you share with us some of the highlights of that journey with Midland Living Links? What are some of the key moments that really helped you on that journey? We had a support group in Nina, which was every month. And we all sat around the table and we talked about how we were feeling or didn't talk, depending on how you felt that night. Phil always knew whether you were ready for for a chat or not she could read how you were feeling at that moment in time and that comes with experience too also the fact that you help each other through the journey and nothing is wrong no matter what you're feeling or what you say whether it's you're angry or you're sad or you're you know you can't believe it none of your emotions are are stopped they're all valid no matter what you're feeling they're all valid and that comes from a group setting as well and to have somebody there that can pull that emotion out and work through it and help you work through it and help you work through all the the stuff for want of a better word that comes with a suicide loss and to help with acceptance, because I could not accept that my son had walked out the door and killed himself. How could this happen to me? How could this happen to us as a family? How could it have happened to my son? And she helped us work through that. And with acceptance, accepting that my child was gone. Also helped us work through the guilt, because the guilt doesn't help anybody. And how to get rid of it, just leave it there. You don't need it. You don't need it as a part of your life. But you do need to look forward to the future and you do need to find a future for yourself. And through our groups and Phil and Living Links, thankfully, I have found that. Folks, welcome back to Heartlands and Midlands 103, where we have been listening to Frances sharing her journey with the aftermath of her son's suicide and also sharing of the wonderful work of Midlands Living Links as they journeyed with Francis and Eddie and the family back from the brink as a result of her son's death. To her being able to share that story with us today, which is no mean feat by any stretch. It has been a wonderful blessing and I hope her story is a source of inspiration, hope and encouragement to you. But Francis, as we come to an end of this interview, is there anything else you would like to share with us, please? All I can say is that suicide does 
destroy lives. It destroys families. It destroys friends. You can't change it. You can't change the fact that it's suicide, unfortunately. You have to live with it. You have to walk with it. You have to learn to find yourself in it because you are not the person you were before they died. Mm -hmm. It changes you completely. And it is completely different to any other loss in my experience. And even from speaking to other people who have lost children in various ways, suicide is still far more complicated than any other loss. So if there was someone listening today who was suffering from depression, as Oshin was, or is caught up in drug addiction, as Oshin did, and is contemplating suicidal ideology at this point in time, what would you say to them? Get help. Reach out. Talk to somebody. If you can't get help, go and ask somebody to get help for you. Somebody you trust. Somebody that will not judge. Ask them to get help for you. But please reach out. Please talk. Please find somebody who will listen. Francis, thank you very much for sharing your story with us. And by God's grace, it will be of blessing, encouragement and help to those who have been listening this morning. Phil? Thanks, Ned. Thank you for being with us. Is there anything you would like to add at this point or to share regarding Midland Living Links, how a person could contact them or maybe even support the work that Midland Living Links is doing at this point? Okay. Well, first of all, I have that lady sitting beside me now here is some person. She has come from the mud right up to your brightness. And she's some person. So I have to congratulate her for that. Thanks, Phil. Okay. And I'm not the angel you think I am. Oh, we you work are. together. We do. All right. We do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Midlands Living Links. I suppose, really, I'll give you the coordinator's number, which is 086. 1600 641. Give me contact through that number, alright? Okay. Now, like Francis said, we are the listening ear. And I will always say, as Francis has said, use your five fingers, look at them often. I can and I will. If you remember that, you will get through a day by day process. And if you have a bad day today and you look back on yesterday, I could and I did. But keep looking at those fingers, keep pointing that out to yourself and bit by bit you will travel the road. You will teach yourself, as Francis said, to walk with suicide rather than sitting with it. Because by sitting with suicide it's like sitting in an armchair, being there all day, you flip and get you know her. But, you know, if you're encouraged to walk and allow it to walk with you, you will move into the future, a different future than you had before the suicide, but it will help you to create a new normality in your life. That's what's all about. Thank you, Phil. Can you share that number with us again, please? The number is 086-1600-641. Thanks again, Phil. And Francis, again, thank you for sharing with us your story. Eddie's story and Oshin's story and your journey together as a family since. 
And my prayer is that you will know the Lord's blessing and comfort and grace in the days ahead and that he will fill them with more joy in his love. Thanks again for sharing. Can I just say, I would not be doing the work I'm doing with the ability to do it as I'm doing it, thankfully, without the grace of God. He is my anchor. People would say, oh, Phil, without you. And I'd say, oh, without God, Phil wouldn't be doing it. Okay? Thanks again, Phil. You're very welcome. And I think we shall leave it on that note. God bless you. Well, folks, there you have it. My thanks again, as I said, to Francis and to Phil for joining me for the interview. One of the questions that comes up is why would a person go and choose to take their life through suicide? And it's one of those unanswered questions. But I'd like to go and just put this thought to you. It's one I heard another preacher expound in regard to the temptations of Christ. And I think it's worth bearing note just to consider this. Matthew chapter 4 reads, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. All I am going to say is this. If the Son of God could be tempted to take his own life by throwing himself off the highest part of the temple, even where scripture has been used as a psychological means for him to engage in the task, just to prove that God would save him, then who are you or I to think that we could not be tempted and led down that same road? I'm not saying it's the answer to the why question, but what I am saying is this, there go all of us, but for the grace of God. Folks, as you've listened to this, if you're someone and you Know that you need help. Follow what Francis went and said. Reach out. Look for help. The Samaritans are there. Pieta House is there. Mid and Living Links is there. Your friends are there. Maybe all it is, is you need a good friend and a mug of coffee or a mug of tea. And we ministers, pastors, clergy, priests, we're here as well. The key thing is, reach out. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Your life has meaning. Christ created you to have life and to have it to the full. And that's not an empty promise. That is the truth. And I can testify to that as I have done in times past. So folks, at this point, all that's left for me to say is my thanks again to Phil and to Francis.
until we meet again. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, show you grace and turn his face towards you, and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>